open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host at Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. Once again, we have Diego Gutierrez from Argentina. We're at the Latin American Bitcoin Conference that he's hosting, and he's the founder of Rootstock. So welcome back to the podcast, Diego. Thank you, Trace. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, so, you know, just to refresh our listeners, what is Rootstock? Well, RSK is the first smart contract platform powered by the Bitcoin network. So what we are doing is bringing smart contracts into the Bitcoin network. And we base our development in four pillars. One was uh, using the security of the Bitcoin network to secure smart contracts. So one, one thing we did is give miners, Bitcoin miners an additional revenue stream by securing both blockchains, the Bitcoin and the RSK blockchain at the same time. The other thing we did was not create our own token, but use Bitcoin as fuel for our smart contract execution. In that way, what we are doing is adding more value to Bitcoin because it now has one more use case as fuel for smart contract execution. And we ensure that miners on the Bitcoin ecosystem keep earning profit in the currency they already know, that is Bitcoin. So, like, we had some uh, problems with the Ethereum blockchain, (laughs) you could say. (laughs) Because, I mean, what good are contracts if you can just uh, go back and and change uh, how they got executed? Uh, If you have this mutability, if you have this ability to just just go back and arbitrarily change the history, uh, which is what happened with the Ethereum blockchain, you know, that impinges some of the ability to trust a blockchain, yes. right? So, so how is Rootstock different in that sense? Well, we have multiple elements that will make mutability much difficult that it, that it did in, in, in Ethereum. One of the things is that having the, uh, a peg, a bridge with the Bitcoin network and, and a peg with the Bitcoin blockchain, it makes very difficult that somebody can, you know, fork easily without full consensus of the of the network because the value won't be transferred to the to the new network that's it on top of that rsk has some other innovation in the fact that uh, we have a hybrid security model where you have also federation network that combined with the public network handles the the two-way pair between bitcoin and rsk so that combination makes also even more difficult for somebody to change the rules or mutate the blockchain without having full consensus not only of the users the miners but also with the uh, companies that are building the solutions for bitcoin and rsk could you perhaps give an example or two of how this is actually going to be implemented and what tools or innovations are going to be used with this? Like, 
we're going to be using sidechains or SegWit or Lightning Network or, you know, all these like fancy uh, <laughs> things that we're working on in Bitcoin, like which ones are Rootstock going to be using? Well, what, what we did is take the concept of sidechains, uh, but sidechains was like a broad proposition uh, that would be able to connect any blockchain with Bitcoin, but that requires massive changes in, in the Bitcoin side. So we thought that pragmatically, given that Bitcoin is most, more conservative in terms of changing and uh, with good, good reason, because we are protecting a lot of value in the Bitcoin network, we devise, we, we design a solution that it's uh, much more easier to implement that is called drive chain. And we discussed this idea with the original person behind it that is Paul Stores. And we took that idea down to earth and we created B BIP uh, and we also coded the solution. And, and with that, we can create a two-way pack where miners are accepting transactions on the Bitcoin side with the hashing power. So as long as we have a very similar level of hashing power in, in the Bitcoin and in the RSK network, we will use the security of the hashing power to also release funds between the two blockchains. The interesting thing is the drive chain we implemented only requires one opcode to be included in Bitcoin and can be implemented as a soft fork. So it doesn't require any you know, controversial uh, modifications into Bitcoin. So that's our solution. Oh, that seems very elegant. When you're talking about like this Bitcoin investment, the BIP and... Is this going to be able to enable cross-blockchain atomic swaps between the drive chain and, and Bitcoin's uh, main uh, network? That's correct. That's correct. It will implement that. So that's why we call our currency smarter Bitcoins or smart Bitcoins, because in a way what you're doing is taking the secure asset that Bitcoin is, and you can add smart contract functionality to it. But at any time, if you want to go back to the comfort of the Bitcoin network and the security of the Bitcoin network and, and blockchain, you just can use the peg to go back from RSK into the Bitcoin blockchain and you get your Bitcoins back. Well, and not only that, will you also be able to uh, like code in with, the, with, with these cross-blockchain atomic swaps conditions into the smart contracts that can end up settling into the Bitcoin blockchain itself? Well, we don't have that functionality at the moment, but we thought about that in the other direction, like, you know, sending Bitcoins to the, the peg address on, right. on well, Bitcoin. Yeah, so that'd be the other and way. Then, yes, and, and then, you know, sending that money to a specific smart contract directly, not to a wallet. Then the smart contract will do whatever you want it to do. And then at the end, the smart contract can release the funds back into the into into Bitcoin, Bitcoin network. network. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that way we can have a smart contract like a, a weather contract that's pulling Oracle data from weather.com exactly. and Bloomberg, but then it settles, uh, well, it executes and then settles into the Bitcoin into blockchain the Bitcoin itself blockchain. as opposed to just into the drive chain. That's, that's correct. And also we add the federation as a secondary mechanism to secure the release of funds. So in that way, it's also very, it's much more difficult to, you know, to take over the pegging system. Right. So you've got that and then you've got it hardened with the, with the, with the Bitcoin network yes. uh, behind it too. What are we looking at with SegWit? Has it impacted what you guys are doing at all? Well, our BIP uh, was implemented using one functionality from SegWit that is the versioning system. 
Of course, we can implement it without SegWit, but that would be much more of a messy code. So we think SegWit in general is contributing a lot of very good features, not only for scalability, because we can have much more transactions in a single block and remove a lot of bloat from the blockchain, but also uh, is setting certain infrastructure for the future you know, improvement of Bitcoin uh, as a platform. So, so we really like SegWit in that sense, and we will have also some kind of SegWit in our blockchain implemented as well. What might be an example of of what it lays the foundation for to be implemented in the future that you're particularly excited about? Well, you mean a use case for our platform? What we envision well, whether, for our escape? Whether rootstock or just Bitcoin in general. Because, well, I mean, SegWit's a big deal, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, what what are maybe, like, the one or two, like, big deal, real, tangible things that, that are going to be able to be done because of SegWit that, that you are excited about? Well, one is this, how easy it would be to deploy or implement new features, you know, uh, in the Bitcoin side. So that's one thing. And and how, how is that done exactly? Because SegWit has a versioning system. So you can... You can and, activate and what, I mean, certain what do we mean features. With this they, versioning system, though. So basically, you can implement a feature, and that feature won't activate until certain conditions uh, are met. So you don't have to like you can beforehand like you know implement the feature and then release it. Now, previously, how was this done in the Bitcoin network? And with SegWit, are we going to be able to have multiple features yes. being kind of? run in parallel in, in this parallel, way? Living together. Maybe you can explain that a little bit. Well, the technical aspects, I think maybe Sergio, our chief scientist, is, is more, you know, uh, more proper yeah, to explain that. But I, I, I asked to interview him <laughs> and he is a little shy, so... Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, conceptually, is that you can, you can have multiple nodes, you can have multiple nodes, um, you know, running, enabling different features, you know, so they can you have multiple features living together on the same network, and and there's no uh, contradiction, or you don't have to wait serially to to activate them. So it's basically, you know, it allows innovation at the first step piece, and then network eventually will get to consensus, and and those features get implemented right. or activated more than implemented. Yeah, so they don't they don't have to go serially; they can go in parallel. Yes. and I think it's up to like thirty at a time yes. or something, exactly. something of that nature. So yeah. I mean, we can be having multiple soft forks all taking place, all at the same taking time. place, and, and and you know when when the network reach consensus on those multiple imp- innovations, you know they will go activating yeah. over time. So it's for me. That's very. That's amazing. That's a yeah, very that's nice. A, that's feature. a huge yeah, deal for huge the deal. extensibility of Bitcoin. Absolutely. What might be another example of uh, the innovations coming out of Core that you're excited about for the future? Well, I think you know Core is very conservative in a way how they implement features, and I and I mean I like how they think. Although I, I know it creates a lot of tension. But one of the other things they are working on, Matt Corrado has been working on a backbone. So, um, you know, versions of Compact Block or there's another proposal called Ectin where you are not exchanging the full data of a block, but you're exchanging um, a bloom filter. So, so you know exactly between nodes with information is missing in one node. So you use your mempool as a way to, 
you know, reduce the amount of money, of information being exchanged between nodes. That's very important if we want to scale. Yeah, because of the Omen squared problem, right? Exactly, because if you, if, you, if you have bigger blocks, but you don't have more efficient ways to synchronize the nodes, then some vectors of attack become, you know, more, much more poly, exactly, or, yeah. much more possible. So, so I think that's another thing I like a lot. And then the header first, uh, you know, so you can have equality between the different nodes, even if they are with high latent latency networks. That's also important to keep the neutrality of the network. So I think those are very important. I think, you know, having compact blocks or, or some similar feature, having the header first plus SegWit in my head are the, the ground to, to then scale on the size of the log because then you have a nice infrastructure underlying where the size block increase won't impact the, the network decentralization. Thanks for listening to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. Our awesome audio editor needs to eat. He makes your experience better by increasing the sound quality and decreasing the show's time by editing out unnecessary ums, ahs, pauses, and such. With only a few seconds of your time, you can support the show. Do you ever buy stuff on Amazon? Before you do, simply visit bitcoin.kn forward slash resources. You can get there from the homepage and click on one of the links. It takes you to Amazon. Then at no additional cost to you, we get a tiny percentage of anything you purchase, even if it's not that particular item. These resources, they're all my favorite hacks that have increased my quality of life. So you might learn something helpful. They range from healthy snacks to sleep optimization, meditation tools, cognitive enhancers, immune system boosters, and much more. Maybe you'll find them useful. Either way, any support is greatly appreciated. Thanks. And now back to the show. So with Rootstock, where do you see it going over the next three to five years? Well, in Rootstock, we have a very clear purpose that it's to enable financial inclusion, to enable you know transparent government and pure democracies, and also to give the basis for the Internet of Things. So... That's where we are heading and we are like pushing both technically in the sense that we are focusing on the features needed for those use cases to be applied. So when we talk about scalability, it's not only about, you know, transactions per second in our case, but also how user issue assets, assets that will represent, for example, the fiat currency of a country uh, can scale properly. Some of the proposals like the APE, 20 from Ethereum uh, have a high degree of centralization in the implementation. So that would be a challenge for uh, the VM, the virtual machine, because if you have uh, every transaction for a single currency being uh, passed through a single contract, then the VM will lock or will have to centralize all the processing on that contract. So we are also like finding solutions to have parallelism in the contract execution and, and doing things so the, the BMs can scale and use multiple cores to process transactions uh, with this idea that we will be the platform for financial inclusion and that we might reach easily in three to five years, 400 transactions per second or so. But doing this with vir- like with a virtual machine over this distributed network? Exactly. Wow. Doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned like government and democracies. How, how are you going to help make Bitcoin great again with Rootstock? <laughs> well, I, I, in my vision, what we are building is, uh, you know, is the Internet of Value. So it's the first decentralized, neutral, 
network to transfer value in all, in all its shapes. You know, money being one, just the first use case, but, you know, a vote is a, value, a transfer of value as well because you are delegating your political power into some, somebody else. So in our vision, what we are building is this public infrastructure that will be neutral, that will be interoperable, so the different private networks and, and you know, different individuals can connect in a network that won't, uh, you know, belong to anybody in particular, but will belong to everybody, much like the Internet of Knowledge, such I call it, did with the opinion, with the voice of the people and the, and the access to knowledge. Would this bring an added level of transparency to voting? Yes. And if so, like how? What might be an example of that? Well, um, there's a big discussion about electronic voting. And I think at the end, it's, it's not a black or white answer like to that. So, so I think we have to take the best of the of both worlds, the traditional world. So we can have maybe paper uh, voting, one system where you people can still check what they voted, where, I mean, they can validate their vote without the intervention of any intermediary system. So you have a transparent process for the individual. But if you, on top of that, you are, you add an auditing system that sends the same vote and the same information through the internet to a blockchain, to a public blockchain infrastructure, then you have a double check system. So, so you know the fraud cannot be done because you have the blockchain as a second auditing system that cannot be uh, tampered with. But you still have the paper to interface with the people. So I think we should think more of, uh, you know, hybrid systems than fully blockchain or fully digital systems. So, I mean, are are we looking at somehow creating a Merkle tree with a bunch of Merkle leaves, exactly, and then being able to uh, have the 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 Merkle root hash and your particular Merkle leaf as the vote, and being able to know that your vote is included in the Merkle tree, but not being able to know necessarily who, yeah. who all the other exactly. Merkle leaves belong to. Something is, like that, and, and 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 to have a degree of granularity where you can know exactly how many votes. Uh, you had in certain facility, so you know you can do like a yeah different Swift Merkle branches check. exactly and stuff. exactly. And so, like, isn't a big issue with with these voting machines that they run on closed source software? Of course. And yeah. and so, I mean, if we don't have access to all of the source code all the time, then we don't know what the software's doing. And if we don't know what the software is doing, well, when we have the option or the ability to have open source software that we know what it's doing, then we have to conclude that the only reason to have closed source software would be in order to have it do things that that we that, that might be politicized or might not be what is represented, because otherwise we would just want to use open source software to be yeah. able to know the to be able to have the integrity. The right? other so reason, I mean, yeah. The other reason is you are not uh, you know very confident on what you are using, which is also a big problem because a hacker will get to it and, and crash it. I mean, if you are not allowed, I mean, if you are not confident enough to put your solution into the open. And, and leave it to, to, to the test of the millions of hackers in the world, then you shouldn't be using that for voting systems. But that takes me to another problem. I think the problem with voting is that we are concentrating a decision in one 
fixed point in time that will make certain people have a lot of power for a long period of time. And what these technologies can bring is the, a system where we can uh, issue our opinion over, over political issues or, or governance issues more often. So the incentive to hack the system will be much lower because, you know, coercing people to vote one way or the other makes sense. If with that vote, you will get four years of power. But if with that vote, you will only get to change one single decision, then the incentive goes very low. So it might be the type of thing where y your your vote is only good for a minute, and yep. you have to renew that vote every minute, and you or, can always revoke that authority or, or that Or you can power. revoke the proxy. You can use proxy voting. Representative. Uh, representative, but, yeah. but if that's fluid, then the relationship of power can change and flow. And if that representative is not representing me my, anymore, I can change that swiftly. So he's incentivized to keep his word on so, his promises. So there would be less uh, lame duckness. Exactly. This has been a fascinating interview. Thanks so much for everything that you've done with Bitcoin, with building the community down here in Latin America. Uh, we've had Diego Gutierrez of Rootstock. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mayor, and likewise. <laughs> Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.